Hey there, everybody, and welcome to episode 112 of the Agile Podcast. An absolute smasher of an episode today. We got a crossover episode with one of the another podcast that we've been really keen to have a crossover with for a long time. Someone who, well, I'll just name him now, Chris Williams. Uh, someone who we've been aware of for a long time. Really, really uh, interested and, and um, inspired by some of this stuff. Badassagile.com. Check it out. Um, and as you'll hear, an absolute master at podcastery. Um, and we had a bit of a chat about a number of topics. And the most interesting one, naturally, we couldn't have had a, a podcast without talking about COVID. Um, but the differences in, in Toronto, uh, or near Toronto, and here and around the world. But uh, an interesting conversation around mastery and whether this is still something that we actually aspire to, and whether we've got the patience for and the discipline for as society these days and, and the implications of that. And uh, something that's come up a number of times, but the word, the F word, uh, well, one of the F words, <laughs> failure, and how that can be quite a stigma for a lot of people, a lot of leaders, a lot of organizations, and what, what that means for an organization's ability to become more agile, more resilient. Now, Chris has got a wealth of experience from all sorts of areas. Uh, but check out his his leadership area, the Forge. But it's driven from a lot of uh, work with Navy SEALs. We absolutely loved this episode, uh, and we hope you do too. And uh, we've got quite a few people that we need to welcome in to our uh, into our fold, shall we say? So who who have we got, Paul? So in our new patron main membership, we have Sarah Vishka, uh, Cornell Montano. Jamie Kriegel, Wolfgang Durber, Mudin Akorede, and Ryan Ragsdale. Well done, and thank you to all of you for, for contributing and pledging your support to the podcast. It's really, really, really great to, to, to have you on board. Thank you. Cheers to you all. I'm raising a glass here to you. And I am too. And on that, on that front, actually, Chris, as, as someone who's produced you know, almost 500 podcast episodes, Bless him. He was really, really generous uh, and has put together a, a wealth of uh, information, uh, videos and slide decks that you can reuse. Uh, and he's made that available to our, our patron members. So thanks to Chris for that. Anyway, enough of that. We hope you enjoy the episode. Cheers. Cheers. Cool. Cheers, Chris. Nice to meet you. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, boys. Nice to meet you too. What are you, what are you drinking there? I've you go got first, a, Jeff. Go on, I've got first. one of these little mini kegs. It's, uh, from a from a little microbrewery over here in the UK. And he has oh, to drink, he has to drink the whole drink. thing for, in, in the episode. That's that's the challenge. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward to the end, everybody. <laughs> Jeff yeah, will be the one um, falling over. Where you, Paul? I've got, um, I've got, if you can see that on camera, I've got a Thatcher's, I'm trying to hold it up, Thatcher's Katie. Now, this oh, nice. is a, a, an English cider. I'm a big cider fan. But I didn't realise I've opened the bottle. Um, I've got to drink it now. It's 7.4%. Now, <laughs> now, some of those, those that know right. me will realise that that's quite quite a bold step for me at, uh, at this time on a Thursday night in England. But... Um, 
I'm going to go on a school night. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. So it's um, it's, it's pretty good, strong, good. strong cider. I like that. So I'm going to see here. Could you tell what that was just by the sound of it? Oh yes. I like a, yeah. <clears throat> so this beer right here is called a Blanche de Chambly. Chambly is a little town in Quebec, which is the province right next to where I live, which is close to basically I'm in Ontario, but specifically north of Toronto. So I was born in Chambly. So this is a white beer, kind of weedy nice. with a little bit of um, coriander and I think a bit of orange. So I always get laughed at for drinking it, you know, by real men or whatever. <laughs> like the beer strong. <laughs> However, this beer, you know, if you can get it on tap. So if you ever come to Toronto, there's a place called the Loose Moose. When you come to Toronto, you're either going to go to the CN Tower, you're going to go to the Dome that we have, and or see a Jays game, a Leafs game, or a Raptors game. Yeah. If you're doing any of those, you're within the spitting distance of the Loose Moose. And they serve this on tap. So mm. that's like a Canadian thing to do. Is come to Toronto, order Blanche de Chambly, catch a game. So Loose Moose, let's go on that theme there, Chris. Because that's sure. something to do with improv, right? That's something to do with Keith Johnston. Am I, am I right? Oh, it, it could actually. I don't know. Okay. But, cheers, but that's, cheers, that's the name of his theatre company, I'm sure of it. And he, is, um, mm. he was based in Canada. So, yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Good to meet you. This is very clear. Jeff, look at that. It's cl- For a cider, it's almost like... Oh, damn. Like lemonade. lemonade. I'm not, not, not used to this at all. Mm-hmm. Most ciders, aren't they... Is the flavor added after? There's a fermentation, which is probably close to clear, but does the color come from <clears throat> the fermentation or does it come from the... Ad, the stuff I think the it's from the apple juice. I think it's probably from the, um, the type of apple. But this is a single but, apple, apparently. Oh. Which is quite unusual for ciders. It's a single apple, the KT apple. But there we are. Well, when I made, made my cider, it was it was kind of brown when I when I pressed the apples, and it yeah. became a clearer over the fermentation period. So you made it your fermented own. longer. I did, yeah. I, I, oh. I, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I made some. Apparently, uh, it's not, it's not that straightforward. Big... If you don't know what you're doing, you can blow things up. I'm told. <laughs> I'm told. Um, it's it's not that it's not that dangerous. So the, the, uh, mm. getting the still and making your own moonshine now that that would be um, well illegal, but um, <laughs> also quite dangerous and daring too. All right, boys. So we know what's on tap drink wise. What's on tap topic wise? How do you how do you like to do this thing? Well, I mean, whenever we get together, it's always a case of so. What have you been up to recently? Um, and. Over here in the UK, we're in lockdown, so that's been a relatively <laughs> limited topic recently. Uh, um, yes. So it's it's great to have great to have someone new who's who's got some different experiences that we can talk about. Um, what's 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 life like over in uh, near Toronto at the moment? So it's still locked down, just opening up now. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm just allowed to get my haircut in like about a week and a half. I can go <laughs> get my haircut. So meantime, I don't know if you can see this, but yeah. like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of hair going on there, <clears throat> which I know my friends who are completely bald always say, "Stop talking now." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here, uh, you know, it's been a little more restful. Like for me, it's been a year and change off, in mm. which I've had a huge amount of creative output. So the podcast has had some extra, you know, some extra ideas, some new things. These days, I spend a lot of time on Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, socially, everything is really stopped. So, as you guys know, the going to the pub, communing, mm-hmm. clinking a glass, that kind yeah. of thing is gone. And it's been gone so long that it's actually going to feel weirder to have it again mm. than it did to not have it. You know, mm. we, when this all first went down, if you'd have told me it's going to be a year before you go back to normal, I wouldn't have believed you. 
Yet here we are. Mm. You know, we've been locked down twice. The kids are back in school now as of a week ago. The malls are open as of last week. And then Toronto proper, the city, mm. reopens uh, on the 9th of March. So mm. on the Monday. Okay. So, yeah, I've just been, I mean, my voice is burned out. I've been screaming at a microphone since 7 a.m. I've been on the clubhouse. <laughs> I've been on, um, I teach in something called The Forge, which is my online immersion leadership experience for agile leaders. That stemmed from my time spent with ex-Navy SEALs in a program called Unbeatable Mind. So I wanted to bring to the tech world an intersection of here's what we know about agile. And then here's what we know about people who are the best, the best at what they do in mm. situations where they can't fail, where the stakes are always high. So I really loved that. You know, I wanted to study what makes that kind of person. So what I learned there, plus what I've kind of jammed together with Agile, created the Badass Agile podcast, and then The Forge is how I teach that back to other people. Mm. So I spend a lot of time talking <laughs> these days, which is fun, but it's actually nice to listen too. So <clears throat> what have yeah. you guys been up to the past few weeks? How's the podcast doing? How is your Agile practice doing? What's going on? Wow. I mean, you're, you go first, Paul. Well, I think the, pod, the podcast has been a, quite a nice, um, it's a little bit of light relief. It's actually, um, it's meant a lot of more evening working. I think it's probably more hours yeah. we're putting into this, Jeff, isn't it? It's fair to say, mm. but um, it's actually been quite rewarding. We're getting a lot more um, comments and a lot more traction, in, especially social media wise, which is always nice. Great. It's Great. nice to know that people are listening to it. So <laughs> um, <laughs> it's always nice to know that, isn't it? That you're not just talking is. into yeah. an echo it's chamber. Been, yeah, we've we sort of, um, it's been... It's a, it's a very cliche thing, isn't it? You know, it's either a problem or an opportunity. But we, we've taken the opportunity to you know, reconnect with people that we haven't had chance to speak to for a long time. You know, and that are out there in far-flung parts of the world. So, right. you know, we've had a pint with Mike Cohn, we've had a pint with Esther Derby, we've had a pint with Roman. All these differences in Sandy Mamoli in, in, in New Zealand, and mm -hmm. um, so things that we wouldn't have done if we'd have been doing our podcast at the end of a working day in a yeah. pub. Yeah. So it's it's um, what's they say swings and roundabouts. Yeah, yeah, it's a great term swings and roundabouts. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, people from the UK on Clubhouse talking agile, and so I'm always fascinated with the difference in terms. Have you found have you found Clubhouse to be? Because when I first went on there, there wasn't really much. There weren't many agile people on there. There weren't many agile mm -hmm. topics. It was usually around startups and, and things yeah. like that. Bitcoin was a lot of topic, mm -hmm. but it started to grow, hasn't it? Oh, I mean, you're looking at someone who's trying to help grow it. Um, yeah. And there are a few people, like I say, stand out from the UK. There's a couple of folks that have really pushed it forward. So it's growing quickly. So you have to explain to me as someone who's never been on or used Clubhouse yet. Give me the elevator. I, know, I sent you an invite and you still I know you have. I just ignored it, Jeff. What's oh, yeah. the, what's, give I, me the elevator I, pitch for it, Chris. I follow Jeff. Sure, the elevator pitch is this, that it's an audio-only experience, but it's live. So it brings with it the excitement of radio, the ability to get on stage. So you can be in a room with, you know, uh, Elon Musk has been on there. Jared Leto has been on there. Some really big names. And you can listen to what they have to say. But there's a chance, however small it may be, that you can actually say your piece. You could ask a question, get an answer in real time. There are many great communities, as you would expect from Agile, that are giving communities. So they're coming on saying we're seasoned or we're here to learn and the two of us will meet up mm. ask a question get an answer or contribute something 
So it's different than Twitter in the sense that it's immediate. Mm. It's live, but it's audio only. So okay. in that regard, it's kind of different than any other social media platform. I mean, maybe Instagram Live or Facebook Live, you'd get the same interaction, but then you have to be on camera. Mm. They, this is I iPhone. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, the, one of the big differences, I think, from a Twitter perspective is the fact that there's, there's very little chance of anonymous heckling. Exactly. Right, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you, in, you can't just throw a tweet out there and abuse. You, know, right. you can't even necessarily speak unless you're invited to be on the stage. So the emphasis is on listening, and then you can put your hand up and ask if you want to. If you want to, yeah, you can to be invited. So the actual participants, almost a little bit like a goldfish bowl style setup. Okay. Yeah. You can right. Be invited yeah. into the middle. Right. And then yes. Step back out. Yes, exactly right. You're brought up on stage, quote unquote. You ask your question, and then they move you back down. There's often a panel of moderators and speakers. One of the big criticisms is it's iPhone only. It's That's invite cool. only. However, right. if anyone out there needs an invite, I have at this point I've accumulated a bunch, so I'd be happy to welcome you in. But it's unmoderated. Okay. So in theory, there's nothing stopping me from opening up a room and saying, here's what I hate about dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could say scrum at the end of that sentence, or I could say something that's far more mm -hmm. controversial or, in fact, hateful. Mm. And there's no one to stop me. Mm. So Twitter has created a competitive uh, environment called Spaces. Right. And it'll be moderated. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see how that compares. But it's mm. a great platform for networking. Because it's new and because it's limited, There is a, it's really greenfield. So there's a really great chance to make a splash, build some community. Yeah, we did. Um, so I, I've used it predominantly to supplement um, a community that I'm starting up with, with some sort of seasoned, but I'd call isolated professionals, people who are, you know, they're, they're either internal agile coaches or they're, they're freelance agile coaches. And you know, they don't really have a strong um, group of people that they can actually bounce ideas off freely and safely. So Wonderful. started that off and we've actually used Clubhouse. So we've got Slack, we've got another type of tool that we use for different types of communication, but we actually use Clubhouse really nicely and well to have a, just a bit of a discussion about OKRs and mostly it was it was people from our group but then other people can turn up and, and just join in and it was it was cool it yeah, you well. never know who's going to show people from yeah. all over the world with all kinds of backgrounds that otherwise frankly don't participate in the community in the same way i mean mm -hmm. you have to understand there's so many people being certified especially since covid started there's so many people who have their eyes on this career especially since covid started there are a lot of young people who are looking to understand the field who normally don't speak out and ask for help. Mm. But on Clubhouse, you can find those people and you can actually do a lot of good and help them. So mm. it's been a great experience for me, from my perspective. Yeah. Quite, so maybe, make a, maybe make a club called No Lightweights Allowed, only 7.5% cider and up. <laughs> and then see if see if Paul's got the stones to show I, up. Well, I wouldn't be invited, Chris. So that's that's the problem. I wouldn't be able to get in. So uh, I, I fall at the first hurdle. But um. So it's a twenty-four-seven thing. So it just runs continuously. I'm mm -hmm. assuming the time zones, time zones mm -hmm. end and start, and just the conversations just keep going and going. Yeah, you yes, can sir. either just publish things ad hoc, or you could schedule them in advance and and so on. And I, I like the fact that there's a low barrier to entry, apart from the fact that it's iPhone only. Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about before with, with with the move to sort of online training and things is the psychological safety of actually inviting people into your home, which not yeah. everyone's necessarily comfortable with, right? And right, right, right. We also had a discussion with a couple of guys um, over in the States about um, the actual bandwidth issues. You know, if, you're, if you're running a training course and you've got people turning up who don't have great bandwidth, that can actually mm -hmm. limit the experience of everybody else. But we're also worried about 
actually creating a, almost a, an elite barrier. Yeah, a barrier to entry, yeah. You've got to have super yeah. fast broadband to be able to get certification or something like that. You know, that's not something we want to encourage. Think this of is quite education. easy. Educa I'm sorry to interrupt, but education is the same problem if you're looking for a cause. Yeah. Think about all the kids who can't, who live in neighborhoods where they don't have mm. decent Wi-Fi access. Mm. For remote education, this is a huge mm. class barrier. Mm. And education is so important. We can't let that happen. Mm. So you raise a great point. Yeah. Same things happened here with, the, with just things like laptops, iPads. You can't expect that kids have got access to, to hardware as well as, you know, you know, they might have the internet available to their address, but they might not have the, the, the hardware to actually be ac to access it. So, it's, yeah, similar thing. That's right. But it's been, like you said, it's been a year, and you, a year ago you wouldn't necessarily have thought a year that we'd still be in this situation. But the whole yeah. time frame, I think, is an interesting perspective for me as well. And... You know, there's been it's been impossible to be able to say with any kind of certainty when things are going to be able to change and that's something I think society has had to come to terms with and you know it's almost like a yep. getting used to the agile world in, in wider society we've got an idea we've got a goal but things can change but if you would have said to people you know you're going to be locked down for six months would behaviors have changed then if you said well we're going to lock down for a month and we're going to review it yeah you know yeah, that's that's a tricky thing, isn't it? And I think mm -hmm. that's that's part of from an agile. But this is where Paul and I we, we try and take something and, and force link it into agile, if you like. <laughs> from, well, from a product <laughs> perspective, yeah. yeah. if I'm creating a roadmap, you know, yeah, I've got good intentions, but there's so much uncertainty there. How much uncertainty can my stakeholders cope with right, right now? But, place, yeah, but we said the danger with that, and we've talked about this before, Jeff, is that so our prime minister came out and said, like Jeff says, a very um, agile roadmap in itself. We review the data and the, and the roadmap changes. But the number of people that I've spoke to that have just heard, the only thing they've heard are the dates. Mm -hmm. I don't care what all the, all the waffle was, all yep. the, was just noise between those milestones. But when can I go to the pub? Give me a date that I can go to the pub and see my friends. Sure. That's what people want to know. And when that's we heard that before. <laughs> and that's what people will, will probably be working towards. Yeah. They can, and unfortunately, a lot of the, um, the evidence will be will, will obviously this but it's backing up those decisions will, will kind of be secondary because people just same as, as we do with stakeholders they just just tell me when just tell me when i'm going to get what i the stuff that i've asked for yeah so and how here, would seals deal with that chris uh well given that you know what it's an interesting question because and i, I can't speak for them but given that the end result is fatality mm. you either you're going to gear up properly Right. Once we know enough about it to move forward, that would require, in this case, everyone wear like an N95 or whatever the, the gold standard is in equipment. Special operations teams tend to have the best gear for a reason. They need it. Hmm. So if all we're doing, though, is handing out, you know, napkin style masks that we know are about 20 percent effective, maybe combining it with social distancing of six feet or greater, maybe combining it with. Uh, a, a rigorous hand washing routine you might get lucky but i'm not sure we even understand the patterns of contagion there's been new strains of it that have come out so it is a rapidly evolving threat so study the data yes uh you know take the precautions that's one of the big problems in north america is that we have a very big contingent of non-believers people who don't think it's a real threat which is your freedom of course um and then act accordingly not recognizing, I, I remember taking law class in grade 11, 
first thing our teacher said to us is that your right to swing your arm ends where your neighbor's nose begins. <laughs> so all we hear in that is, oh, I'm free to swing my arm. Great. Awesome. That's what I really wanted. Anyway, I'll see you later. I got to go. But we forget that we endanger others when we're not cautious in the absence of certainty, which, of course, is a big agile question. How do we behave in the absence of certainty? We would want to measure, take a step forward and adapt as we learn. And I think a SEAL team would have no choice but to behave the same way. What they plan for is the uh oh, all went sideways moment. So they're planned to the point that anyone can be. But they recognize there's a moment where the price performance curve for planning doesn't bring any more benefit. So they try to optimize that curve. But when things go wrong, they have to be trained to do anything. Hmm. Like a firefighter knows exactly what to do in a moment that to a regular civilian would create sheer panic. They have measured and practiced the routines to get themselves and others out safely. So there's a, there's a two-step procedure. And in North America, a bunch of people aren't willing to do that. They're like, screw this. I have my freedoms. I'm an American. You're not taking this from me. I have a right to go to the mall. I have a right to go to the bowling alley. And you are not going to stop me. And by the way, I have a gun to help my uh, to help myself enforce that rule. It's a different attitude than I'm not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, a, I go ahead. No, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, the I did a, I did a talk a while ago about a completely different topic, but I actually introduced it partly humorously. Um, but with with a with a with a tweet that I I screen captured from Twitter, which was around uh, a flat earther's comment about climate change mm-hmm. and the irony behind it, and mm-hmm. the, the the point that I made with that was that some some beliefs are not dangerous if they're wrong. So there's yeah. no real danger if. Yeah you're wrong about being being a flat earther. There's no real danger there. Right. But if you're a climate change denier, there is a risk that if you're wrong, a big risk. Mm, there's a huge and if you're, yep. if you're wrong about, you know, if you're a denier or a conspiracy theorist around the virus and you're wrong, then there's a big impact. Right. And I think that's that's the whole social, social contract side of things that's really, I think a lot of countries have experienced, haven't they? And that's, mm-hmm. again, forcing this into the agile space. If you're part of a team, you know, we've all got our beliefs, but there's an element of, well, where's our common ground? And where, where, does it, where are we prepared to almost compromise a little bit of ourselves for the greater good of the team? Absolutely. Yeah. team must be, must be the epitome of that. You know what I think is needed in agility? Because our nations are so polarized. This is a big topic for me, even now that we're so certain that everybody else is wrong. And I mean, this this is not new. Here's the, here's the problem. I always say there are no, no agile problems, only human problems. Mm-hmm. If you look at people, if you look at religious conflict over the centuries, never will you see people so certain that they're right and everyone else is wrong. But let me ask you this. From our global understanding of a creator, of a divine benevolent power, for example, what kind of open quote, God, close quote, would create a universe in which there's any confusion about what right, capital R, right, is. Wouldn't a God want people, if that God is there to induce any kind of morality or rightness or righteousness or whatever it is that a religion represents, the way to be, why would there be so much confusion where if you pick the wrong one, you go straight to hell and burn (laughs) for eternity? See... 
polarization is a little bit like that. It's almost silly to stay locked in one side. So you have to ask the question, what is it that you're uncomfortable with or that you fear that keeps you rooted in that side and unwilling to listen or move? So if we think about a climate change denier, what is it? If climate change were true, if it turned out that yes, we're burping chemicals into the atmosphere that's causing global warming, species are disappearing, natural resources are dwindling, the planet may not be able to sustain life. We're poisoning ourselves and others big long list if that were true and we had to make changes and you know what those changes are it's going to be constrictions on emissions the way that we use things the materials that we use and so on what frightens you about that what's not okay there for you mm. well i'm going to lose revenue i'm going to lose profitability i have to retool my plants or my this and my that. what if we could get you most of what you wanted and get ourselves most of what we wanted too why can't we have that conversation mm. But I think it starts with addressing what's the real fear. Mm. Because if you're talking about climate change plus or minus, and all we do is say, I have stats that show yes, I have stats that show no. Well, what do we do now? Until we're talking about the human problem behind the disagreement, I fear we'll never get there. Mm. And this, um, I think you're right, Chris, and we've talked about this, Jeff, in our workshops before, but how many of the back to the kind of the agile world team team behaviors organizational dysfunctional behaviors how many of those behaviors that we see are inevitably driven by fear about sure. or a lack of safety a lack of um, the un, or the unknown and um well i was just doing a class this week and i was some really good students and one of them we were doing a coach a few rounds of coaching and one of them just asked a question they just said what are you most afraid of yeah. That, that kind of that silence that you get get you know when people that question when someone's asking about fear and yeah. it's it's a it's an incredibly powerful thing and, and it's a huge driver to to what we do and what we don't do in terms of our, our human behaviors tara brock the meditation expert has a great saying what am i afraid to feel mm. yeah which is almost an iteration on what do you fear because there's a fear around talking about fear and feelings. So sometimes taking the question just a little further, what is the feeling that you do want to feel? And what is the feeling that you don't want to feel? As product owners, product owners should inherently get emotion because products must deliver emotion. Products mm. don't deliver features. I don't care what you say. Those features must create emotion. An Instagram app has a ton of features, but at the end of the day, you don't download it and use it if you don't feel belonging, if you don't feel significance, if you don't feel love, if it doesn't deliver those things, all the features in the world won't make that product better and won't put it in the hands of customers mm -hmm. at any price. So sometimes it's worth asking, what feeling are you looking to get or what feeling are you looking to avoid? I think that's a very valid question when you're talking about conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that I think is, well, I think you sort of distilled it there is that all problems are human problems. And fear is the number one emotion that, that drives our decision-making, I believe. Um, and that could be fear of consequences, it could be fear of loss, it could be fear of loss of face. Um, uh, and just, we, we go through the classic you know, denial, don't we, with, with, well, I'm, I'm too worried about these things. But I really like what you're saying there about, you know, let's have a conversation about if, if we could get past this, this, the, these negative consequences that you could see, which I can completely empathise with. I'm not, I'm not undermining. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, to, to be little. Then, then we, 
perhaps there's something there we could work towards and I think that's that's a really good way of looking at it rather than a you know my logic my data is gonna gonna prove your fears to be insignificant right right now you just wrote a book and, and you know my boy Greg Pitcher from New yeah. Zealand we do yeah. yeah yeah he's in the forge with me he was in my first cohort and uh, I remember when he was reviewing your book or uh, working with your working with you on your book so he says hi first of all I told him I was gonna be talking cheers, to Greg. yeah nice one Greg yeah cheers cheers and um uh, your book Team Mastery, what what would your book have to say about dealing with those kinds of seemingly irrational but truthfully emotional challenges and gaps and bridges that people build between one another? Well, I'm not sure what the book would say, but <laughs> um, the... Uh, uh, basically the way that I wrote the book was you know, my observations of great teams and, and the great teams that I've observed will will be will get themselves to a place where they can have those conversations gradually so you don't go from being professional people who've been put into the same workspace to being completely vulnerable with one another about your deepest darkest fears and your values overnight it, it, it grows that trust grows incrementally so it could start with just sharing a little bit about you know, some things that really bug you about meetings or you know, tell me about a good day that you have at work and a bad day about work and just finding out some of the little things I did, this is no, nowhere near in any way Navy SEALs, but <laughs> do you know Bear Grylls? Yes So I did, a, I did an experience a few years ago of um, his island experience so I got mm -hmm. stuck on an island for a week with people I didn't know Right. Uh, and we sort of, you know we had to find our own food and build our own shelter and stuff and you know the first thing we, we we did was try and get to know each other a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I was, my question to the group was, I'm never going to be the perfect campmate. Far right. from it. So, and I don't think I've got a chance. I haven't got time to become the perfect campmate. But if there's one thing that I can do, or not do, to make your time with me a little bit less uncomfortable, what would it be? Uh, and just basically try to find one little bugbear, one little issue that I could try not to do. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. to, to be a slightly better teammate than I would have been if I hadn't asked. Right. And was that per, per person, Jeff? That was you asked the, each individual, and that's yeah. the interesting thing, is it? Because they're going to be different things. They're going to tick off different people at various yeah. points. So it actually that question actually is a bit of vulnerability from you, but actually you're actually promoting some sense of vulnerability from them from them by saying, "Tell me something about you." That, that I would do that annoys you. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an air, there's a bit of, it's a, a very clever, I'm sure that's not how it's intended, but it's a way to help to get people as a leader to, to, to help get people to open up for themselves. I, yeah. I mean, SEAL teams have a term, I don't have to like you, but I do have to trust you, mm -hmm. which is the reason why they go through hell together at the outset. So sometimes having a little crucible experience like that, for example, escape rooms, Mm. are a great way for a team to bond or to kind of storm through that uncertainty that can really help mm. because they're forced to rely on one another mm. and they have to put their differences aside because you're on a timer mm. so we just need to get through this but living through a couple of those can really help a team bond but you raised something interesting uh jeff when you're talking about you're effectively talking about the word mastery when you said trust grows over time Mm -hmm. vulnerability grows over time you can't just bring it in fact it's almost awkward when someone brings it or expects it on the first day yeah that's not how the human experience is meant to be 
And I was on another podcast with a couple of my guys from Unbeatable Mind who went through the same thing I did. And we call ourselves the street corner sages. And the question to be asked is, do we still value mastery? Do we still talk about getting better slowly over time? Or have we lost interest in that because we're in the, you know, your way right away, uh, fast food, drive up uh, culture? Has that become you, a problem for a us? Did you did you like did you come to a conclusion on that one? I have a conclusion. Yeah, I would love to hear your take on it though, because you use the word mastery right in the title of your book. I mean, think about Luke and Yoda. If you're a Star Wars fan, right? Luke <laughs> had to be at some point. He had to be a seeker, yeah. an unwilling one. He wanted, but he wanted mastery overnight, mm -hmm. to the point where Yoda's like, "If you leave now, I can't say if it all will go badly, and I can't say that it won't." I'm slightly worried. Slightly worried about Jeff's start. The Star Wars reference. You all right with that, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, is Star, Star Wars, Wars is Star Wars taboo? <laughs> no, 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 no. But I have a historic um, uh, label of not having watched many films, but I have since that. <laughs> good, so. good. We're okay with Star Wars. That's fine. You could watch any kung fu movie and pretty much get the same metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, George, George was a master of stealing from the the, the hero's journey. Yes, mm -hmm. very true. So the same the same question applies. But have we lost a taste for mastery? I'd love to have your opinion on that. Well, my personal opinion is no, because it's always been a relatively small proportion of the general population. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that there has been, whether it's a 1%, a 10%, whatever it is, it's a small proportion of people who are prepared to really go for it. Right. And the vast majority are happy with good enough. Right. Uh, and that's fine. I don't think we need everybody to be masters necessarily. Mm -hmm. right. But I think maybe we need um, what we have seen in, in the past... 10, 15 years or so is almost as my opinion here is, is society almost saying it's okay to just be mediocre. Yeah. Um, yeah. And almost, you know, I don't know whether you had a similar kind of thing at school, Paul and Chris, but the, you know, the smart kids, the ones that studied most got a bit of stick mm. for being mm -hmm. swats or geeks or whatever. And, and cool. mostly it was a defense mechanism because I'm going to make myself feel better for not doing the work by vilifying the ones that do. Those, that, that I think it is there, and what I, yeah, what I tried to do was I tried to share some achievable and reachable patterns of those that have worked towards mastery, to encourage right. people to go down that path. They don't necessarily ever have to reach it, but just going down that path is good enough. Well, I think one could say. It's unreachable. It's not meant to be reachable. It is, in fact, the journey and the stretching that should be interesting, which dovetails back into a question you asked earlier. I wanted to ask as we were talking about COVID, what did you learn from this experience? Everyone's talking about changing to the ways of working. Oh, we learned that remote working is actually possible, quite pleasurable and just as effective. It's not so much what we learn that way, but I'll get to my point quickly, which is have we learned a little bit or has it been beneficial to approach it as you have to love what you hate so the thing that terrifies us no social contact no more office no more commute for better or worse for me that's a great thing uncertainty everywhere maybe the world of commerce changes completely maybe we don't ever go to a bank again maybe we don't ever go to a restaurant again those things are terrifying and they suck if you want to talk about what SEAL training does, SEAL training teaches you to embrace the suck mm -hmm. because that's exactly where all of the growth is. Muscle doesn't grow unless you tear it. Mm -hmm. 
So are there lessons learned from us as an agile community, if you want to use that word, that maybe when we encounter resistance, there's a lesson to be told. There's a story to be gleaned from everything we just went through and said, didn't we just finish learning how to love what we hate, how to get better at what we don't want to get better at? Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, I'd, I'd piggyback on that as well, Chris. Um, and I was going to come, come back to COVID. I think on your question about is mastery, um, have we lost the, the focus on mastery? I think we're impatient. And I think what COVID has taught me is that it's okay to, it's, it's, I've had to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to take on less. And that's just through necessity. There was less to do. So when there's yeah. less to do, you find other things to do. So I was, um, and I've t- told Jeff about this on various different podcasts we've done, but I've explored more of my local area than I ever have before. I've seen places that I live near where I live that I never would have seen had I just been working flat out. I've spent more time with my family than, mm-hmm. than I think I ever have in the last 10 years. <laughs> good, or, yeah. Yeah, good or bad. Better or worse, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and about mastery as well, I was, the, the, my thought was, I've learned to, um, haven't learned to play the piano, but there's a couple of songs that I've had the time to sit down and try and learn on the piano. With the, I, I would never have done that because there was nothing else to do in the day. You've got to fill your time, right? But sure. I, cho- I chose something that there's a bit of skill of this. And I can, if I give it time and just five minutes every day or every now and again, I'll sit down and I'll revise and, and play what I've learned before. All, all through YouTube, basically. What songs just, did you learn? So I learned, <laughs> for better or worse, I learned Bohemian Rhapsody. Nice. Well done. Which, which is not, not an easy way to start, Chris. <laughs> no, um, no, that's a difficult tune. <laughs> but now I'm moving on to Billy Joel. I'm moving on to Piano Man now. Which, Excellent yeah. choice. Yeah, so, Excellent choice. But just two songs. That's all I need. Mastery for me is, is playing things I enjoy and learning things mm-hmm. I enjoy. So I think that's a huge part of it. If teams are enjoying what they're doing, if they enjoy being with each other, if they enjoy working together, mm-hmm. I think mastery almost comes a lot more naturally and feels a lot more enjoyable it's not it's not a chore it's something you you can enjoy doing i get that you know i went to opera school for a time and they forced me to play piano i'm a guitar player by nature and so i'm very used to any kind of paradigm or idiom that you can steal from music i've already stolen like there's so many great lessons to teach Mm. about mastery from the progressive development of someone who plays a musical instrument you are actually seeking a certain level of proficiency no question you can't just keep getting better at the same things over and over so there is a point where there's this book you singers out there will know this the vakai method for soprano tenor alto they had separate books for each voice class and they're these really great exercises that did songs They, they were little compositions one page each where the interval was either the like a um Uh, there's a word I'm looking for progressing through neighboring tones Mm -hmm. or progressing in thirds or Mm -hmm. fourths so different intervals scale degrees of the scale and so not only did you learn to sing but you also learned to have your voice jump to jump an octave in the voice is a difficult thing to do especially as you go up the register and at the same time it tuned your ear so if somebody says sing me a, a minor third you actually know what one sounds like because you learned it through the book. Now, it's a terrible way to learn stuff. It's boring as hell. It's super repetitive. 
The songs aren't nice. They're unusable. They have no performance value at all. Nobody goes and plays these tunes in concert. They are exercises. True and true. They're drills. Yeah. So is the next level beyond mastery? If the first level is getting good at doing things because you do what you love, you'd be doing them anyway. I throw my whole heart and soul into them. Yes, I stretch. Yes, I endeavor. Yes, I sweat. And therefore, I get better and approach mastery. But does a master eventually have to do the unpleasant? Up front, in the middle, or at the end, doesn't matter. But at some point, can you call yourself a master if you haven't learned to love what you hate? Mm. I I haven't used that phrase before, and I'm going to let that one sit with me for a while, love what you hate. I think there's... But the the drill thing, I I was nodding my head vigorously while you were talking (laughs) there, because... That's that's what most people and Paul talked about impatience. That's where most people give up. Right. And and I can I can talk to personal experience in various different things from you know when I was trying to learn musical instruments as a youngster and things I just wanted to play the songs and wasn't interested in the scales and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, through, but I think what what, what I've seen and I've, I've spoken to a few people about this recently in terms of different different ways of dealing with that uh, monotony resistance in people. I think. As coaches and as trainers, we, we've learned how to how to get past that in very creative ways mm-hmm. of actually building that that monotony <clears throat> or, or taking the monotony out of the repetition, if that makes sense. Yes. Throughout for students, it can't mm-hmm. ever be got rid of, mm-hmm. and actually part of. And this is where I'm sitting with that phrase: "Love what you hate." I think you've got to. It's actually doing this, doing it, and not liking it is necessary. I'm going to say I haven't yes. thought that through. Yes. But I think actually doing it, not liking it, and sticking with it is necessary for mastery. So you raise an important point. And Paul, if you need more time to drink before you can answer this question, I totally (laughs) respect that. Let me throw down one additional thing. For Navy SEALs, for example, if you're failing, like if you're in the bottom 10%, but you're determined to make it, and the, the attrition rate is high on purpose, we want people who can stick it out. We want yep. people who are good at exactly this, loving what you hate. If you're sucking, they will throw. Let's, so, for example, let's say you have to do you know, 500 push-ups and you just can't get past 120. Your arms have given out. You couldn't possibly lift yourself one more time. They will increase your number to 700, which seems counterintuitive because if you can't do the 500, what makes you think that doing 700 is going to make it any better? You're just going to fail more. So this now gets to be a progressive um, declension into despair. It gets worse and worse and worse until you want to quit. But that's mm. the point. Mm. They want to get you to the point where you personally would quit. Because for this guy, it's a thousand four hundred push-ups. But for you, your magic number is one hundred and thirty-eight. Great, we found it. Now we're going to push and take you to your personal point of quitting and see what you do. And if you quit, you get to go and ring a bell. Mm. And then you're out and you can't change your mind. You can't come back. You're out. And when that happens, there's a temptation to say, oh, my God, poor guy. He wanted it so badly. But at the end of the day, if he wasn't willing to do in his mind what was required of him in that moment, what's going to happen in the real field of fire? Now, that question is hard to transfer to business. Hmm. If we push people to that point of failure, you can only imagine what's going to happen. We can't simulate that environment. It's really difficult to do. And I would even say it's probably not even desirable. But how do we try to evoke that quality in other human beings without bringing them to the point of quitting? 
without bringing him to the point of despair, of abject failure, losing faith in themselves? Is there anything we can do to create high performers? So Paul's familiar with this phrase that I, <clears throat> I picked up when I was on the island and I've mentioned a few times, type two fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was it was introduced to me by by one of the instructors on um, on, on the sort of course that we did, and um, I was only talking to somebody about it today actually. But the the idea of the best experiences when you look back are the worst experiences at the time. Yeah. So if you want good stories to tell, if you want you know actually not just growth, but you want to actually look back on things and think, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I want to tell the grandkids about it or tell your mates at the pub you've got to have something pretty tough to, to talk about otherwise it's going to laugh at you yeah so the, the failures are what build us the failures are what we look back on but it's got to be something that you actually feel bad about at the time you hate at the time sure. for it to be worth retelling later on right which is tough to do in a workplace mm. well i mean when we look back at the stories we don't actually talk about the successes that much we talk about the failures uh, with, 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 yeah. not, not bitterly actually with, with fun laughing you know when, you, when we were faced as a team because me and Jeff used to be part of the same team when we were faced mm. with adversity that's where you it's in a strange yeah, kind of um, sadistic type way it's that you enjoy that you enjoy now the pain that you had back then I think there is a I think it's probably a resilience and a, um, mm-hmm. a certainly a, a shared common ground that you you can talk about a shared struggle um that i think that does build resilience and that think that does build a better team eventually um you can when you can compare back yeah we did this and we've got through this and we got through that um i think it will make it just like this again always coming back to covid i apologize for that but getting through this and we will get through this my family yeah. will be stronger and, and our colleagues, our work colleagues will be stronger as a result. The organi- organizations that do survive this will be stronger as a result. So, and I think we will, this will make us a little bit more resilient, I think. And I think that's what, what we need. Very true. You know, and the, the, the sort of the epilogue to that story about the push-ups is that the next day is going to suck very badly. If I stand there and wait and say, listen, if it takes all night, you're doing the 700. So yeah. keep rolling or you can quit. There's a nice warm bed and some hot coffee right over there. All you have to do is ring that bell. After a couple of days of doing that, it turns out you can do 250 all of a sudden, mm-hmm. right? Because we pushed not only the mental nerve that needed to grow, but we pushed the physical nerve that got you there in the first place. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that we, we recently spoke to Sandy. I don't know whether you know Sandy from New Zealand, but she... I um, Surprised I don't. But New Zealand is, has been held up as sort of the poster child of... of mm-hmm. Yeah, dealing with COVID, right? So, we were we were chatting to her, and everything's fine over there, and we're in lockdown. And she was she was nice enough not to gloat about it, but she was also humble enough to say, actually, do you know what? I don't think we experienced it bad enough to have learned from it. Mm-hmm. She said, I think you know, in the UK, you would have got much deeper lessons because of the pain that you've gone through. Whereas here, it was almost a, yeah, well, that happened, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's, uh, we don't want. But it's always it's a time old tale, isn't it? You know, your parents saying, "I can tell you the right answer, but until you've you made your own mistakes, you're not really going to learn." That it's that's that right. that's where we learn. But we still have that visceral aversion to failure, which I suppose mm, is a good thing. Well, I have a deck that I do 
and I call it Agile in 20 Minutes, and it's for stakeholders and executives and everyone alike, and it really distills it to the fundamentals, but it spends as much time talking about what mindset changes are required of a leader to make this work. If you're not willing to make those changes, we probably need to talk. And one of them is be comfortable with failure. So it's a great presentation. I'm really proud of it. I've shared the deck with many people many times, and I hope that it's useful in spreading and kickstarting an agile initiative. But the one thing that always happens in every company is people will come up after and say, what is great deck? Oh, oof, the graphics. Wow. So good. But um, could you take the word failure out? <laughs> and I'm always so curious to hear and replace it with what? Like what would be, be like floppery or yeah. what kind of word do you like better than failure that still means failure? Like what could we use here? And there's never a good answer. But as we know, you may remember when you were a kid in school, we had mean words that we would use as we were trying to understand the world that we would use to laugh at other people. Kids do that. Mm -hmm. And so they would try to change the word and say, we no longer called this thing or this person. So for our school, we had a room where the kids who were struggling with education would go. And it was called the remedial room, which is a perfect word because it, said, it means remedy. We're trying to fix a problem. Yeah. But remedial became a word to make fun of. So they had to change the name of the room. So they changed the name, and then we started making fun of that word. And then they changed the name again, we start making fun of that word. It's not the word that we have to change. It's the meaning we attach to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, which is unfair, and say, can, sure. can, we, uh, can we make your deck available to our viewers? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do a couple things for Patreon viewers, because when you support a podcast like this one, you make it easier for, for guys like Paul and Jeff to keep doing what they're doing and what they're doing is valuable, but it's also free. This has to be a labor of love as a fellow podcaster. Believe me, 350, 400 episodes in, it's a butt ton of work. So I would, I'm going to do a couple things. I'm going to give you a couple of lessons learned from the Navy SEALs and make a little video for y'all cool. that you can go if you're a subscriber and only if you're a subscriber, you can go and take away those three or four lessons that could potentially revolutionize the way you lead and the way you perceive the duty of leadership and i will absolutely include that deck for you cool that's great thank you chris super pleasure is that a picture of the bar you normally go to or is it a random bar it's, it's a ra random bar it's random is yeah. it in fact no claim think, to it whatsoever <clears throat> no well no i think i might have actually been to this one really but i couldn't tell you <clears throat> that's that's, that's where familiar. i want to be why not the um, why not the back room from Faulty Towers or something? <laughs> yeah, we'd go That'd there. Be nice. Yeah, <laughs> we've also got the um, I've got a picture of the uh, the nags head from the Only Fools and Horses, which is a British TV show. Which okay, yeah. So yeah, we like yeah familiar British pubs. Great idea. I love it. So Chris, it's been absolutely awesome, and I'm I'm definitely if. Uh, to, Canada is on my list. It's right Good near man. the top of my list of Good places man. to go. Never been, always wanted to. And this being stuck in my shed for so long has just increased my <laughs> wanderlust. And uh, so there's a very good chance that you'll you'll see me and uh, I will be reaching out to you for a pint of that Chambly. In, to Chambly, in, yes, sir. In the, loose, in the loose moose. That's where we're going to mm -hmm. head for, Jeff. That's where I'll yeah. take you, no question. And uh, you know what? It'd be a privilege to meet you guys in person. So I'd love be to great. do that. And I, I may find myself out your way as well. Yes. Awesome. Brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you, gents. I appreciate this so much. It was wonderful to make contact with you. Please um, come on out in Clubhouse and let's continue the conversation there in front of the fans. Yeah. yeah. I'll look it up. Nice one. Cheers, Cheers. Chris.